We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Susan Jin Davis, Global Impact Leader and former Chief Sustainability Officer, CSO, of Comcast NBC Universal, an industry expert and a senior CSR executive with over 25 years of experience in communications, media, entertainment, and technology. As Comcast NBC Universal's first Chief Sustainability Officer, Susan was responsible for identifying sustainable strategies and priorities and for implementing the company's sustainability program across all of the Comcast NBC Universal business units and functions. Prior to her promotion as CSO, Susan served as a Senior Vice President of Operations Compliance at Comcast. In 2011, Susan negotiated a historic memorandum of understanding between Comcast and the Asian American and Pacific Islander AAPI national community as a part of the company's acquisition of NBC Universal. This created groundbreaking diversity commitments in the areas of programming, supplier and employment, and community investment. She served on Comcast's Internal Diversity Council, and she was the company liaison to the external Comcast NBC Universal Joint Diversity Council and to the AAPI community. She led the launch of Comcast's Internet Essentials Program, which offers affordable, high-speed internet for low-income households. Now in its 10th year, it has connected more than 10 million low-income Americans to all of the opportunities of a digital world. Recognized by Forbes as one of five women of color who should be on your radar screen and most powerful women in cable by Cable Facts magazine and one of the top 50 most influential minorities in cable by Cable Facts for many years. An advocate for AAPIs in business and in corporate America, chair and member of many boards, active in her community and a pillar in her family. Susan is a very close personal friend and someone I am grateful for in my life. Susan, welcome to ROG. Hey, Shannon. Nice to, nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for connecting with us on such an important topic. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I think that I am the classic American story. I am a child of immigrants. They came from Korea. My father and mother never met each other before they got married. So they were matchmated together in Korea and, you know, they got engaged over the phone. My dad was, was plugging in $35 worth of coins into a payphone to ask my mother to marry him. And she met him for the first time when she got off the plane uh, from Korea. My dad was adopted by an American family. So I grew up in a multi-generational family when I was little. I had white grandparents and Asian parents. And so I had a bit of an unusual experience as an Asian American, for sure. But I think that these are the kinds of things that make up the fabric of being in America. There's all sorts of families. There's all sorts of experiences. And what, what, what we all have in common is that we're, we're American and we have the opportunity to, to, to use those experiences um, and to live off of them and to learn off of them. Uh, so I grew up in central Pennsylvania uh, in, a, in a small town, not diverse but my dad established the first Korean church in central Pennsylvania, and that became our community service center. That became the place where we convened, where we could feel like we belonged somewhere uh, because the outside environment was not diverse, was not often kind to us, did not accept us. 
Um, and so we had a lot of difficulties. My parents especially had a lot of difficulties with the outside world. So this was a place of, of gathering together as a community of inclusion, of belonging, of faith, of course, because it was a church. And my father also established the first central Pennsylvania Korean Association. And again, trying to build community in a place where he and others like us did not feel like they were part of a community. You know, and that's the, the amazing thing about the human spirit is it's going to gravitate towards doing things that are going to create that community, that are going to create those feelings of belonging and inclusion. Um, and so that's how I grew up. And I had a large immigrant family. You know, no, we never were alone in our house. There was always somebody living in our basement. And we're talking like families. We're not talking about one person. And, you know, looking back, it wasn't a big house, but it, it seemed really huge because so many people lived there. And so it was constant, you know, chaos, some people would say, but I would say really exciting, excitement and fun for a child to be growing up with all these cousins and kids and people running around and lots of food being made and a lot of screaming and yelling and playing. And it, it was, it was really dynamic. And, um, you know, it, it, it kind of showed me from an early age, what was, what's generosity all about? You know, my parents were opening their their house to so many people. It, it, it taught me a lot about community and why it's so important. It also taught me about a, a, another way of American life, which is around diversity. The fact that we don't all look the same. We don't have a monolithic identity. We, we, have, we have so many different ways in which we live here in this country. And it's really been the foundation for my life. That's so beautiful, Susan. Thank you. And and it also redefines family, the way you're describing your household. I mean, that was your family and it was diverse people who came together to form a family and that's how you were raised. So at what point were you confronted with racism or other kind of treatment when you were reminded by whomever that they see you differently? I was reminded really early on I was reminded because as a child, we were often in white spaces and there wasn't anybody different. And so oftentimes I was the only, and I got ridiculed. Uh, I got asked, you know, the ignorant questions. Um, my, my parents had hard time with neighbors or, you know, if they were shopping somewhere because they had accents, a lot of times as a child, I would be asked, you know, can you ask your mother this? And, and I was like eight years old. And I would say, well, she speaks English. And my father had a hard time at work with his boss where they claimed they couldn't understand him and they made him, you know, write out reports instead of doing, you know, the usual, you know, in a meeting, you do verbal reports about the progress of your projects. They required him to write it out. And he would ask me as a young child to read them to make sure that they were correct. I mean, can you imagine asking an adult with two master's degrees, well-educated, brilliant, asking his child to edit something that he was going to, to submit to his boss at work. And I, I think back in those times, I was thinking, you know, those, those microaggressions, those, those, those deaths by a thousand cuts, you know, those were, th that was every day for my parents. It was occasionally for me as well, but at least I could, I could defend myself. I was American. I knew English it was my first and practically only language. This was the only home I ever knew. So it's sort of this constant reminder that we're not from here and that we're foreign and that we're not American enough. Or we're not American at all. Um, and then we're not white and we're strange and we eat weird foods and we look strange and our eyes are small, you know, and we don't have the right color hair. I mean, it, it was always something that was brought to our attention. And that's why I think it was so important that we had our own community 
because those were the moments where we could relax, we could take a breath and we could not worry about being confronted by some sort of ignorance or racism or experiencing some sort of discrimination or exclusion. I mean, it was just a respite from the outside world. And and I only realize that now looking back because it was just the way we lived. So you don't think about it while you're doing it. You think about it after you're sort of grown up or maybe you're you know, out of it, or maybe you just don't care anymore because you're like, Hey, I'm me, whatever the case is. I it's, it's an, it's a recent illumination on what it, what it is like to be Asian in America. And how common of an experience is that when you communicate of those things to other AAPI community members? You know, unfortunately it's usually a universal experience, you know, the sense of the forever foreigner, the, you know, the, the questions, you know, where are you from? And they don't mean Pennsylvania. Um, the comments around, you know, you speak such good English. And I'm thinking, well, that's the only language I know. I mean, I hope I speak good English. I went to school here all my life. I was born here, you know, and I can't imagine anybody who's like Italian American or Irish American being asked that, you know, like, what, where are you really from? No, I mean, Ireland, I mean, Italy, um, you know, because, you know, we're all immigrants, but some of us don't look like as American as, others, I think is the issue. And then there's the model minority um, myth, which if you don't know about is, you know, the idea that Asian Americans are sort of the model for all minorities because they achieve so much and they're so smart and hardworking and successful and they don't need any help from anybody. They just, they just keep their head down. They work really hard and lo and behold, the American dream just comes to them magically. They earned, they earned it. It's a merit-based system here in America. And what we don't realize is that it sounds like a compliment. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the fact that you're giving me kudos for being Asian, but what it's really meant to do is, is to minimize and to humiliate and to put down other minorities because that myth came about during right around the civil rights movement as a reaction to African-Americans asking for basic equality. So, so the answer was like, shut up and be like these model minorities who are not asking for such outrageous things as equality and justice. They're not complaining. So all of these things sort of shape the way people think of us as Asians in America. They create these stereotypes and they create these, these caricatures that are less about who we are as humans and more about something that we represent. And and I think that that has a lot to do with what we're seeing right now when it comes to hate crimes. Thank you for bringing about that context. It's important for us to recognize that that is not a compliment on so many levels. One of which you just mentioned, which is pitting Asian Americans against other minority groups in a way that puts down other minority groups for asking for things like equality and justice. So that's really important that everybody hear that. Another thing is around that socioeconomic disparity within the Asian American community. There's this wide range of professions and individuals in this population, which by the way, even saying Asian American is a huge group of people. Things are, are, are boxes that we put people into and they're confining and they're not authentic and they're not a true sense of who we are as people. There's dozens of ethnicities that fall under the Asian American Pacific Islander designation. Dozens, different cultures, different languages, different religions, different experiences. And and we're a a large group of of extremes. We have some part of our group being very successful, highly educated, 
um, high income earners. And then you've got the far extreme, the poorest in America, the least educated in America, the least advantaged, the, the most excluded. Um, so you cannot put us all in one category and name us a model minority with any sense of credibility. It's just not true, number one, because it eliminates, um, it, it takes away our humanity, I think, it, which is one of the biggest problems about racism and about bias because it, it fails to see who we really are. It puts us in an image, in a box, in a caricature um, that that is far more harmful than it is helpful. It's not helpful at all. Not at all. And that is something we're witnessing even more lately in the media, not that it hasn't been happening for decades and decades and centuries. H- how are you affected by what, what's been going on in the media and what you've been seeing more of recently? It's important to understand that hate crimes against Asian Americans is not a new phenomenon. Okay. It, it, it wasn't just brought on by terms like China flu or anti-immigrant sentiment that is really just ramped up in, in, in the recent period of time. It's just now coming to people's attention and people are finally paying attention. Um, the history of, of us in, in this country has been one that, that has included exclusion and maltreatment racism and discrimination. I mean, if you look at the Chinese Exclusion Act, it was the first anti-immigrant law based on race. And it was in existence for 60 years, preventing Chinese from coming into this country. And the Japanese internment during World War II, where Japanese and Japanese Americans, so someone like me, put into concentration camps because of what they look like, because of their heritage. We've had a history of, of hate and an anti-Asian sentiment for, for a long time. And, and a lot of these hate crimes are underreported because I think they're just sort of a cultural like suspicion around getting involved with law enforcement. I mean, that's something that you don't hear a lot about, but a lot of AAPIs come from countries where their experience with, with law enforcement has been wholly negative and incredibly scary and has resulted in things as, as bad as murder. And so you have this history that has informed the fact that people aren't going to report on it because they're like, well, what's the what's the use? Nothing's going to happen or something bad will happen if I report it. So hate crimes have been going on for a while and they're, they're vastly underreported. So what I think about it about now is th- the difference is, is that I think that the pandemic has kind of forced us to have a front row seat to a lot of these struggles that have been going on for a while because we're so isolated. We, we actually are kind of captive audiences to a lot of these. And that's why you see so much more rallying around things like Black Lives Matter and stop AAPI hate, right? Because people are paying attention and it's sinking in and people are saying enough. I want to get involved. I want to stop this. This is wrong. What's happening today is you you are beginning to see community being built around solving these kinds of problems. I feel really upset and disheartened when I see, you know, situation after situation presented, the murders in Atlanta, elderly in our community getting beat up, killed, maimed, for sure, on the one hand. On the other hand, I have never seen as much rallying behind us by not just us, um, but by allies. And that gives me hope that maybe we can move towards a better world where, where we'll all feel like we're part of one community. That's my hope. That's my wish. And when we come back, Susan will share with us about how to be an effective ally. 
Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you are. Visit QODPOD.com. The QuadPod Podcast Network. That's QODPOD.com. And we're back with Susan Din Davis, who's going to share with us about how to be an effective ally. What are recommendations you have for those who genuinely want to be an ally? Sure. I mean, I think the first is sort of to change the mentality that we have around race and ethnicity and other things that separate us. Taha Nasi Coates, who is a renowned writer and scholar you may have heard of, has written that you cannot have racism without race. And race is a human invention. You know, we, we made this up. We made distinctions up based on the color of people's skin. It was created in order to establish supremacy and to divide us and to create inequality and inferiority. Can we step away from that, away from our biases, away from our stereotypes and humanize one another? It's, it's really a mindset change. So you begin there because when you begin there, then as an ally, you understand that the situation that we're in today as a human race is one of division by design. Let me start to dissemble that. That's number one. Number two, you know, as a, you got to do your homework, you know, do your research, read up, read up on, on AAPI history, understand what the experience has been. Put yourself in someone else's shoes for a moment and learn and understand and to, to build compassion for people. There's a Buddhist leader and teacher that I read a lot, um, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he says that we have to seek to disconnect ourselves from things that prevent us from being in community with one another, that we have attachments to things, the groups we belong to, the religions that we have, the socioeconomic status we have, our education, whatever it is. And, you know, just begin to disconnect from those identities and begin to understand that our identity is being part of the human race. Whether you believe in Buddha or Jesus or other spiritual forces, you know, we need to begin to show our values by living them every day and being mindful. So how can we live in a more connected way? So the third thing I would say is that allies need to understand that, that we need to build community and we need to create opportunities for healing. And I think that the next thing I would say for allies is to speak up when you see something wrong. You know, it shouldn't be on the shoulders of the person being attacked to have to always speak up. We all know the famous quote by Congressman John Lewis, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. And allyship is really powerful when you stand behind people and support them, not only in the good times, but in the bad times, in these moments where people are being attacked and killed, and you're there for them. Because in fact, if APIs are being attacked and killed and hurt, then it's all of our problems. It's not just an API problem. And so this, again, I'm returning back to the sense of community and building community. So those are some of the ideas I have around what allyship means and, and what allyship can do. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Susan. That's a great comprehensive list of things that all of us can check ourselves on, no matter what your background is. And it reminds me of the Dr. Martin Luther King quote, where he says that injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And that's the reason why we have to stand behind and with and among each other and be that voice 
if we're witnessing something and that we speak up for the individual who's not being treated with respect. Those are really practical things that we can do. And I love your reference to the different religious beliefs, because one thing I know that every religion has in common is love and love is the essence of a community. And if we could dismantle some of these systems that we have in our mind, but for us to say, how can I look at this as more of a, as a circle and less of a triangle or less of a square, right? Like it's this, this unifying shape of how do we all fit into this? And that, that is a shift that could really make a difference. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, compassion, like looking around as an ally and saying, who's not at the table, who's not being thought of, who's not speaking, who's not included, you know, that's how we create a compassionate and love-driven world and community because we're, we're thinking about others and we're paying attention and we're being attentive and we're moving towards in- inclusivity. And I think that's really important, especially if you have like AAPIs thought of as the model minority. And if you're in a company or an organization, that often means that we're not included in discussions around DEI. So there's programs that are being created. There's approaches that are being established that don't include us because we don't need any help. Remember, we're okay. We're doing great. How do we make sure that we're remembering everybody? We're not, we're not excluding anybody. Uh, be mindful. And I love what you're saying too, about making sure that all individuals who need to be represented are included in that DEI conversation. When you're looking to create solutions, how do you make sure that you're understanding what the challenges are for the individuals in these different populations so that their voices are heard and that the solutions are actually helping them versus checking the box or looking good on a website? Well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're an underrepresented minority. I mean, we're, we're a model minority, but no one's picking us. You look at every, every area of leadership, we're underrepresented on the one hand. On the other hand, we're also a group of people that's very diverse. So we're not monolithic. We're not all the same, but we do suffer from similar problems of being underrepresented. And, you know, and then we have the hate crimes that are happening, um, which is really a symptom of a problem, right? So we're, it's another example of what it's like to be a person of color here in America, right? Maligned, scapegoated, stereotyped, blamed. That's when the worst of us comes out. And we just need to be very careful around how we treat one another and what we think of people. You know, when we're in moments of stress, that's when the worst things come out, right? That's when our biases really rear their ugly heads. Right. Because we feel unsafe. And everything that you've just described to me rings of fear. Like those are all fear-based things. And back to the, the synonym of community being love, you know, love being the opposite of fear. I think your, your advice to dismantle some of these systems and beliefs and divisions and look to each other as equals, as friends, as colleagues, as neighbors, as individuals who are interesting and have a lot to offer you and their diversity is actually one of the best things about them. It's not the thing to be afraid of. It's the thing to celebrate. And so speaking of celebration, May is the Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. What would you recommend that individuals who who aren't born into that community, but you want to celebrate in the month of May, what are some things that you would recommend for us to join in the celebration? Well, the first is to, to understand that we have this Heritage Month and similar ones as, as a reminder that 
there are others that, that need to be celebrated and remembered and to be considered that we don't right now live in a situation where our schools are teaching a full history of all the people that make up America, that there is a lot of media depictions, movies and TV shows that, that aren't showing people in the fullness that we need to be seeing them. And as a result, it's a, it's a time to actually reflect and to become aware, to become educated around things that we don't know. So, so go into the month with an open-mindedness about learning and, and becoming more aware of the full American story. That's number one. Number two, do, again, do your homework, right? A simple internet search is going to show you lots of stuff around what the Asian American experience is here. And then I would say there's going to be a lot of programming in May where you're going to be able to hear about the history. You're going to be able to hear about the issues that are important to the community. You're going to be able to hear about the the hate crimes. You're going to hear about what we need from you as allies and use that as a jumping off point for every day after May. Like, and so make every day Asian American Heritage Month and every day African-American history month, like, like, you know, it's, it's really around your mindset going forward as being, you know, kind of expanded beyond its usual boundaries. It's really a reminder for how we should be living our lives in other than May, which is with an openness and an inclusion and an understanding that what we learn every day is not the full story. It may not be the true story and that it needs your active engagement and work to to create that learning and that awareness. And then you can propagate that by talking about it and encouraging others in your community, in your circles to do the same, because that's how movement starts, right? It starts with one person who talks to another person who talks to another person. And next, you know, you got millions of people engaged. That's what's happened in every big movement ever. in history, And that's what I'm talking about. Create a movement around inclusion and community. How about that? Let's do that. Let's make that a goal. Yeah. Absolutely. Because there are protests and there are parties. Both are important and have their own purposes. We've seen and participated in a lot of protests to get attention for and expand awareness of the challenges related to groups who are being underrepresented and disrespected. Black Lives Matter movement moved miles this year. There's so much more that needs to be done but I think there's been progress because there's been attention and there's been a collective, like a galvanizing effort toward, we have to do something. We've got to take action. The same is happening here for the Stop AAPI Hate, where groups of people are gathering and being a force because our voices are louder when they're in unison and they're together. And what you're saying is, yes, and yes, let's protest when that's what's appropriate to get attention and to, to help people understand the severity of a problem. And let's also party, like let's celebrate, let's embrace all of the, the beauty associated with all of this different heritage and culture that we could learn from and enjoy. And, and I think that deepens our appreciation for people that we get to work with and live with that make us feel more like a community. That's right. And I think that whether it's a celebration or a protest, at the end of the day, it's, it's about visibility and it's about being heard and seen. And when we're not heard and we're not seen or we're ignored, 
then you see the outcry that you see. Black Lives Matter is, is it exists because Black lives don't matter. And when Black lives don't matter, that's a problem for all of us. And that also is a battle cry for all other voices that are not being heard and all other people who are not being seen. And as Asian Americans, as AAPIs, this lack of visibility, this invisibility is what is creating a lot of the pain and the suffering that is happening in our community right now. So as you shine a light on things and as you include more people, you allow that celebration to happen and you allow true community to be built, which is nirvana. Yes, totally agree. Susan, thank you for who you are in the world. Thank you for sharing your story with us, your encouragement, your recommendations, your passion, and let's go create that community that you just described. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Our OG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Susan is such a remarkable person and shared incredible insights. Here are six highlights. One, never say model minority again. Two, do your homework. Three, recognize who isn't at the table and figure out how to get them there. Four, don't put Asian Americans or any other group into a neat little box. Five, celebrate Asian Pacific American Heritage Month in May. Six, create visibility for the invisible. Stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.